Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Hey, this morning, um, we, we are giving uh, this beautiful opportunity. I love on Pentecost Sunday to invite my friends who have impacted my own life. Uh, Stephen Castillo was one of those guys. Years back, I watched Stephen. He was, Stephen, how old are you? 31. So he is eight years younger than me, but Stephen started to impact me um, in seasons where I was ministering. And Stephen has just has this kind of Barnabas heart to come alongside of people, love them. He, he's got a strong prophetic gifting because God's given him such a love for people uh, and a heart for the global church. And so this morning, I want you guys to put your hands together and give a good Fountain City welcome to Stephen Castillo. His wife, Amy, is here somewhere as well. Good morning. How are you guys? Hey, it's so good to be here. Um, a lot of you I, I know from high school, elementary, church. Like, I, I grew up here, um, went to Columbus High. So, like, this is just a special kind of moment for me to see some of you. I'm like, I know what you did in high school. I'm just kind of, like, looking through people in the, in the crowd, and you know what I did probably too. But, um, yeah, it's just good to be here. I've got family here, and... My wife and I, let me, let me show you a little picture of my family, and uh, I'll tell you what we're going to go through this morning. So those are, that's one of my little nuggets. Um, that's Amy, my beautiful wife, and Praise, our daughter in the middle. She's two years old. And then seven weeks ago, if you go to the next slide, we had this little nugget. Um, that's Samuel, and uh, it's been fun. We're actually sleeping, praise God. Um, sometimes we don't, sometimes we do. And, uh, but yeah, that's, those are my nuggets. That's my family. And, uh, they're here in the back. So go say hey to them. Um, hey, before we get started, I, um, I was talking to Grant and we were talking about, hey, what, what can we talk about a Pentecost Sunday? And, you know, I was thinking if there's one thing that we could talk about, it would probably be living the spirit filled life, right? Pentecost. And here's what I know. And, um, I want to tell you a little about, kind of my background and um, how I'm entering into this conversation. So Amy and I, we worked for a uh, mission organization called Novo, uh, based out of Anaheim, California. There's a little over 600 plus missionaries in about 120 countries around the world. And kind of my role is I'm a catalyst mobilizer for people in the church and in the mission field, helping catalyze movements of the gospel. You, you heard a term a minute ago, church planning movements, but seeing movements of the gospel spread across the world in places where the gospel has never been. And here's the other thing. This is my passion. Helping the church realize that their mission field is at their front door. I, I love that. Like that's actually, here's what I know because I grew up in church um, I know that when you hear a missionary come, two things happen. One is there's something in your heart where you're like, I want to go with her. And you're like, okay, go find her. Go talk to her at the end. And there's also a group of you that are like, I don't want to go with her. And, and here's, here's the other thing. If you said the second part, you know what you have to say yes to is the mission field being at your front door. Like, you don't have a choice. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a part of the commandment of Jesus. Like, go and make disciples, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is your neighborhood. You have no option except to say yes to Jesus. And what happens is, the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more Jesus gives you his heart for his people. 
And so it's actually a challenge of our own discipleship. If we truly love Jesus, we will give our lives for those that do not love him. They've never had the chance, and they live around us. And here's what I want to say. I told you I'm passionate about this. You might be the only Jesus that they ever meet. The only one. And you're like, wait, in Columbus? In Phoenix City? Yes. Yeah, actually. It actually is, it's harder to be in a Christian culture and to hear the gospel afresh and anew and to bend your knee and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. That is your culture. I know this culture. And God gives you the privilege of sharing with people in your daily life. This is my king. This is who he is. And so I, I want to invite you into that. I, I felt like as you were talking to, and I know we just met each other this morning, but there's some of you that are like, hey, I, I can't go. Maybe I could go for short-term stuff. You're thinking that. But there also might be ways that you could financially sow. There might be ways that you have skill sets of technology, of videography, um, of photography. Ask the Lord how those gifts could be for the nations too. Um, I was just on a, a call with a, a mission group, and it's a whole group of missionaries that are reaching unreached people groups through Facebook ads. And you would think, how, how could that happen? Literally thousands upon thousands of people are clicking on ads, meeting Jesus for the first time in their life. You never know what God's going to do through a simple tool like Facebook, like Instagram. So I, I just want to throw that out there and say, hey, the mission field, God might be calling you in a unique way to step into that. So that's my side note. Um, so we're going to talk about life in the spirit, living in the spirit, okay? And here's how I want to start. I want to show you a, um, a couple slides of just scriptures when we talk about the Holy Spirit or the spirit. I know it brings up a lot of questions, and I, I want to show you this whole list of who the Holy Spirit is in the scripture. Okay, Let, let's show some of those real quick. So first one, Ephesians 5.18, it says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Next one, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The next one, Acts 8.29 and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Look at all the roles that the Holy Spirit's playing. Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Romans 8, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 39, we're not going to read all of that, that's wrong. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh, listen, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And two more, 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And lastly, another name of the Holy Spirit out of John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Do you, do you see all these multifaceted aspects of the Spirit? And, and I, I remember first reading the Bible and thinking about what is the Spirit? Like, is, who is he? And here, here's what we know from these verses. And I, I just want to kind of take all of those and put them into a summary. We know that the Spirit will fill us. And it's compared to being intoxicated by wine. He will empower you, and he comes upon you. We're going to talk about this in a minute. He comes upon you to be his witness. He speaks to you. He produces spiritual fruit in your life. He exists as one. We can walk in the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free from sin. We can set our minds on the Spirit, and we cannot. The Spirit is how God's love has been poured out to us. We can speak in or out of the Spirit. And these last two, the Spirit gives a variety of gifts to believers, and the Spirit is our helper. So you might be saying, wait, who, what, when, where, why is the Spirit? <laughs> like, like he, yes, he's all of these things. And I, I want to tell you a little of my, my story before we kind of get into the depth of what does it mean to have life in the Spirit? My testimony growing up in, in Columbus, Georgia, um, I, I say this, and I can say this with you guys too, but as I, as I speak in different churches, I get the privilege of walking with Anglicans, Catholics, Methodists, Lutherans, Charismatics, Pentecostals, fill in the blank, and I get to talk about the things of God. What I've found in uh, a lot of these churches is that they all come from different backgrounds and how they enter into this conversation when we talk about Pentecost. And um, so I, I tell them, hey, I was born in Columbus, Georgia in a Southern Baptist church. And, uh, and so I say in other, other states, when you come, like when you're born in Columbus, Georgia, in my background, it was like, hey, you're a Southern Baptist. That was like what I was used to. And, uh, and so I was born a Southern Baptist. And here's what I want to say. I am so thankful for my background because I learned the word of God. My family built me in a foundation on God's word where it was the way that God speaks, and I'm grounded, and I'm so thankful for it. I also got some around some crazy one of you that were at North Highland Assembly, and um, you said you believed in the Holy Spirit, and I was like, I, yeah, I know the Holy Spirit, right? Like, spirit of adoption lives in me, and they're like, no, like, and they're talking about experiences and encounters, and I'm like, these are weird people. Like, God, get me out of here. And, and so they, they believed in missions overseas. And I was like, that is weird. We do local missions, right? I had never, like, I had never known about that. And they said they were going to um, this place called Swaziland, Africa. 
And there was a Teen Challenge missionary there. I think I was on the trip with some of you. And this man, they said he heard from God. And I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, don't we all? Like John 10, right? Like, but this was different. He had like a spiritual gift. And I was like, yeah, like teaching and leadership. No, this was a little different. And, um, and so he, they said, well, let him pray for you. And he kind of is a prophetic guy. I was like, this is getting weird. And so we were, we were in their living room the last night. I was a senior in high school, went to Columbus High. And <clears throat> I remember him coming across the room, and he said, hey, we want to pray for you, and we want to prophesy over you. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So I was like, okay. And he's like, so there's a young guy named Jacob next to me, a freshman in high school, and me, a senior in high school. And he starts praying for Jacob, and I'm, like, weeping, crying. And I'm like, why am I? Like, seniors don't cry. Like, guys, senior guys do not cry. And this guy's like this Burke, you know, he's like teen challenge guy. Like, Ugh. I'm like, I can't cry in front of him. And he's like, starts praying over Jacob. This is happening to me. And then he looks at me. And I remember thinking, man, this is a beautiful prayer for Jacob. And he looks at me and he says, and next month when you go to college. And I realized the whole time he's been praying for me, my head's been turned off. But something deep inside of me, my spirit was receiving what he was praying. I thought that is weird stuff. And he, he began to kind of lean into me and pray for me with such humility, such gentleness. And he said to me, he said, on June, this date of this year, he said, you had your first seizure. On July of this date of this year, on this and this, and he began to tell me each of the seizures I had in my life. And I said, who in the world are you? He said, I'm Kevin. <laughs> no, 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 no. Who told you my story? And he said, no one, son. He said, the Lord knows you. He said, I'm an empty vessel that opens himself up to listen to the Lord. I said, who in the world are you? And he, he began to prophesy over me my life story because I had three major seizures in my life that drastically changed my life at the age of 10 all the way to 12. And in that moment, I looked at him and I said, I've known God my whole life. How did you just do that? He began to open up the scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and teach me the very words I had read my whole life. And this life of the spirit came alive to me. I went to this place, I'm sure you probably heard of it, called Starbucks. And I, I worked there off Bradley, Bradley uh, what is it called, Bradley Park? Yes, I still got it. Bradley Park Drive. And I worked at the Starbucks for years, and it was my mission field. And so people would come up to the counter, and I would ask God to speak to me the way that Kevin spoke to me. And I would share these words, and people would fall down crying. Or there were times that I'd share with them, and they'd look at me and like, who in the world is this guy? You know, and, and I started learning how to hear God's voice for myself. I started learning how to walk in the Spirit. And, you know, this was a crazy journey for me because in my life, I had an experience when I was really young that really changed my life, but now I had a language, I had an embodiment of someone that walked in something that I had never seen before. When I was 10, around the same time I had my second seizure, I had this experience. So this is just my testimony. Um, so I have this experience, I wake up from this dream, and I, I feel like there's two people speaking to me. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is a little different. So I went up to my mom, and I was like, hey, mom, um, I need some help. You know, like, can you imagine a little 10-year-old telling you this? Like, I, I need some help. And she's like, you're, you're okay. I was kind of like, worrier. Like, go back to bed. You're going to be okay, right? So I go back to sleep, and I wake up the second time, and they're screaming louder. I can't hear what they're saying, but they're screaming at me. I'm 10 years old. And, and so I went up to mom. My, my body was shaking. 
And I said, Mom, I need help. This, something's not right. And, and she said, Stephen, like, I, I don't know. Like, what should we do? And we, we began to, like, discern what do we do. And she said, you know, go back to sleep. So I went back to sleep. Third time I wake up, and they're screaming. This is in Columbus, Georgia. This is not like Africa. And, and I wake up, and I, I go to the kitchen. They're screaming so loud, and it's the first time I could hear what they were saying. I was literally plugging my ears, shaking, barely holding my body up. And these were the three phrases they said to me. Jesus is not real. If you believe in him, you're fake, and you should give up now because your life doesn't matter. My whole body went completely limp. I fell on the ground, and I had an invisible hand around my neck choking me. And I thought, this is my moment. Like, I'm, I'm going to be with the Father. Like, this is it. And I remember my dad used to tell me growing up because of all the fear going to sleep at night. He'd say, Stephen, whenever you're afraid of something, I want you to say in Jesus' name. And I thought, I'm going to try that. I said, in Jesus' name, get off of me. And this hand came off of my neck, both voices completely shut, and I gave my life to the Lord. This was the beginning of Christianity for me. This is how I met Jesus. This is how I gave him my life. I knew there was something behind his name that when you said Jesus, things had to shift. I knew there was something about his name that there was a war. And I, I remember going back to my pastors and saying, hey, I had this experience. Help me. And they're like, we don't know what to say to you. And I, and I was just started devouring the word of God. It, it became my sustenance. It became my life. Like I, I'd read these stories of Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. I'm like, I, I know what that is now. I, I'd read these things about warfare and being entering into a spiritual war. And I'm like, I, that's how I came to the Lord. And I gave my life to him and I started following him. And I started, he asked me, he said, would you give me your childhood? And I gave it to him. Was it all easy? No, but I gave it to him. Take it. I don't, I don't want it. I want to follow you. If your name is so powerful, take it. Take my child. I gave him my years. And I, I'm still doing that. I'm still walking with him. And I know that's the story of you all when Jesus called you. You're still walking with him today. So I, I share that story because I want you to know how I enter into this conversation of life in the spirit. This, this wasn't normal for me and some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. And so I want to meet you in your story where you're coming into this because we're all coming into this story from different places. Here's what I know as I work with a lot of churches around the U.S. and around the world is there's a predicament. And he, here's what I find is the Spirit is all of these things and verses that we've talked about, yet this only kind of scratches the surface. When describing the Spirit, these bring up questions, they bring up wrestlings in our heart. And I, I just want to tell you, this is actually all throughout church history. It's like, yeah, I, I don't have time. I started writing all these notes, and I'm like, that's too much. Like, but there, there's so much church history where this wrestling of what is the Spirit? What is this life in the Spirit? It's been a part of the church's story. Rather than going historical, I want to tell you some current wrestlings around the Spirit. One is in global Protestantism today. And I'm going to make these general statements, okay? In a, in a generalized way, there are sometimes churches that are more word-centered, and there's sometimes churches that are more spirit-centered. Have you experienced this? I know it's been my experience. And these word churches, this is kind of what they'll say. They'll say, and they're pointing their finger at the spirit churches. And they're like, if only they knew the word of God. Uh, if, if they understood it. If they held up its power as primary today. 
Sometimes those spirit people, they're kind of emotional. They're kind of unorderly. They raise their hands too much in worship. It kind of seems a little sensational, kind of like they talk about these encounters with God. They, they pray in weird ways. They're kind of flighty. You're like, can you just get here on time? You know, like they're kind of flighty people. And let's not even talk about tongues. You know, like this is kind of what the word people say. This is what the spirit people say. If only they knew the gifts, the work of the Holy Spirit. And they followed the spirit in their day-to-day lives. They're missing out. Sometimes they're so serious. They're like, you know, they're, they're serious. They're, they're worried about error. They're so controlled. They talk about the gospel. The gospel has to be said in every word that they say. The gospel. And their worship's kind of dry and still and predictable. Does this resonate with you? I I see this over and over again. And, And they're saying this back to each other. Spirit to word. Word to spirit. And it's this argument all throughout the globe. It's really interesting. I love how Ken Wilson says this in his book, Empowered Evangelicals. If we emphasize the word without the spirit, we dry up. If we emphasize the spirit without the word, we blow up. If we hold the word and the spirit together, we grow up. We won't gain more of the spirit by having less of the word. And we won't depend less on the word by having more of the spirit. We need as much of both as we can have. Is that good? We, we hold them together. What does Jesus say? His true believers in word and truth and in spirit. Truth and in spirit. These are his believers. So I, I find this being part of the predicament in talking about the things of the spirit. Just one. And kind of the second one is this problem of, and I don't know if you know this, but the fastest growing church movement in Christianity today is in Pentecostalism. Most people would say this, that Africa is a Christian continent. It's it's really amazing. Go and study that. They would say Africa is God's. It's really amazing. The northern part of Africa, we are going and sending missionaries, but they would say the entirety of the continent is the Lord's. By 2050, it's predicted that 70% of global Christianity will be in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Did you hear me say 70 Salvation stories are reported in the thousands by dreams, healings, signs, and wonders. And many Muslims are coming to faith simply by having dreams of Jesus, a man in white. I want to tell you one story that I heard with some of our missionaries in the Middle East. And I won't say the country, but there was a a man that they met that began to tell them his story. Long story short, he woke up from a dream, and in this dream, he, he wakes up and he hears this man riding on a horse that's fully white and he can't see his eyes, but he glowed like the sun, he said. And when he met them, when he met this man, this man said to him, I am Jesus, follow me and make disciples. And he said, should I look at him and tell him what I do? I'm an ISIS leader. And he was the main ISIS leader in the Middle East that developed sales group. And what he would do is he would find a cell group He would bring them to Islam. He would multiply them in the thousands, and he was the main guy that they would send to do this. He has an encounter with Jesus. He gives his life to the Lord, and he finds a missionary. He says, I'm a follower of Jesus. And they're like, aren't you? It's kind of like a Paul story. Like, aren't you that guy? And he said, yeah, I follow him now. 
He gave his life fully to the Lord. He got in the word. He started reading the word, and now he's the fastest growing church planter in the kingdom that's ever been seen in the Middle East. He's a modern-day Paul that God looked at as an ISIS leader that killed Christians, and he looked at him, and he said, I see my son, and I'm going to put my spirit upon him, and the thing that he used to kill my people, I'm going to use to bring my people into the kingdom. Sometimes what we see on the news is not actually the news in heaven. God is doing a mighty thing in the Muslim world. I, I share, this is one story, and I'm sure our friend could share so many more, but this growth, and I, I'm talking about the predicament, this growth in what we're seeing, there's also a predicament with it. Some people would say, oh, these miracle stories, they seem a little fabricated. Some would say the church growth, they wonder if numerically can be calculated or is it just guesstimated. Some would say, are the salvations just from people that have come from different denominations and now they become Pentecostal? Or are they transfers, like almost a sense of Catholics becoming Pentecostals? There's a predicament. And what I've found is things with the Spirit, there's a wrestling because we as humans, we want to know, we want to understand. And this life in the Spirit, you're going to see in a minute, it's like following the wind. There's great joy in it. If you figure that you, you have it all figured out, I promise you, you don't. It, is that how your life in the Spirit has been? This has been my journey. I thought I was moving to Russia a couple years ago, and I, I'm here. You know, and so you just, you never know how God's going to lead you in this journey. I want to show you a, another man in the Scriptures that wrestled with this same thing when he met Jesus. His name is Nicodemus. Do you know him? If we could put up that slide of John 3, and I, I just want to read this real quick. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again? Imagine this, the leader is saying this to Jesus. How can he be born again, Nicodemus says? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, but spirit is born of spirit. Do not be amazed that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, like the guy. You're the guy. I mean, that's my paraphrase. You're the guy. And you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify for what we have seen. And yet you people do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? See, Nicodemus, as a very knowledgeable, wise man, he asked the same questions about this life in the spirit. How must I be born again? What does this mean? What does this look like? And I, I think in our hearts... Even if we've been walking in this journey for a long time, or even if this is new stuff, it's a journey. 
And we come back and we look at Jesus and we say, show me today what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. I want to highlight this verse again in verse 5, if you could go back to that. He says, truly, truly, I tell you, now listen to this afresh. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, but Spirit is born of Spirit. Do not be amazed that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it's come from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I, I read this verse again because in talking about life in the Spirit, I'm painting a picture of what, what has happened globally, historically, but what does it practically mean to wrap our mind and our heart around life in the Spirit? One is in the entrance of walking in the Spirit, we must be born again. It's, it's an actual, for wherever you are on your journey, it's an actual regeneration. It's like the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. It, it actually means that when you come to Christ, you are a completely different person. This person has never been seen before. You actually have life for the first time in your life. Some scholars would even relate those that do not know Christ are like the walking dead. They are walking among us, yet the Spirit of God, which gives life, true life, is not in them. When you come to Christ, He gives you his spirit, and he makes you alive. Regeneration, he bursts you where you've never been born before. And we must be born again. This is what he's telling to Nicodemus. I know, Nicodemus, I know, I know you want to understand this, but it all starts with you being born again. You have to start all over, and you have to start for the first time. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. I, I find this in, as we're talking about this, this spirit, this regeneration out of John 20, 22. Jesus, he's with his disciples and it says, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to think throughout the narrative of scripture, where, where was this other moment where God and man breathes into man and he gives life? You go all the way back to the garden. And you look at this man that God in himself takes his very hands, however he made Adam, and he makes him and he puts dirt together and he breathes his life and he gives this creation life. And he breathes. And Jesus, God, says to his disciples, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I think this is Jesus showing us that he wants to give them life. He wants to give them regeneration where they could be alive in him as his children now. And I, I think sometimes we think in this journey of regeneration, it's like a, a one and done. Some scholars actually believe that the disciples, when they were going with Jesus, it took two years before they looked at him as the Christ. Sometimes we look at it, do you, you remember he even says to Peter, what does he say? He says, flesh is not giving this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for two years and one day he opens your eyes? 
Some of you might be on this journey right now and you're like, man, I've, I've grown up in the church, but I don't know Jesus the way that these people are talking about Jesus. Maybe God wants to show you what it means to be born again. Some of you maybe have grown up in it and you're like, I'm just way too far. I'm way too far from the Lord. And he easily says to you, come to me. He loves you right where you are, not where you're going to be, not when you're perfect. I promise you, hey, if you're a perfect person, would you just raise your hand real quick? You didn't think so. There's no perfect people. There are people that are broken at their knee and they say, I need your life. I need what you have. And if that's where God's calling you, I want to invite you. Come just as you are. So there, there's this start of regeneration. This is where we enter in. And here's what I've found in my journey in walking in the things of the Spirit, this life of the Spirit, and I hope this is helpful for you in your journey, is I, I find these three areas to keep us grounded in this life of the Spirit. Can you, can you show that slide real quick? It's a triangle. There, there's kind of this mixture of what I would call contemplation mixed with contending, mixed with the charismatic. And I, I want to break this down as we're to, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We have to have deep roots to be able to hold this life of the Spirit deep and wide. And so I, I want to break this down real quick, and I, I hope it's helpful for you in your journey as we talk about life in the Spirit. Contemplation I want to start with first. Life in the Spirit, and we could say resting in the character of God. See, the foundation of contemplation is our identity is rooted in God's character and his goodness. We, in this, in this journey, as we're constantly in contemplation and walking in the spirit, we, we know and we deepen our understanding in things like this. I am made new in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Greater is he who is in me than he is who is in the world. That God has given me the armor of God to fight the battles that are spiritual in nature. That he is with me always, even to the very end of the age. That he is, listen to this, for you. And that you as a sheep hear the good shepherd's voice. Do you see the rootedness and identity? I know you guys have gone through this series of identity and the character of God, carrying his imago Dei, his image. You are his sheep and he cares for you. In contemplation, in this life in the spirit, we rest in him and we know that he is always at work. John 5 says this, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. There's this life in the spirit that you start learning that it's not about when you're on. It's not about when you feel powerful. It's not about when you have everything right. There's a rest in the grace and goodness of God where you say, I'll never figure this out, but I trust in you. There's like this, this rest. There's this abiding where you rest in his nature. And you find that intimacy is the life and the breath of walking with the Spirit. Jesus constantly went away to be with the Father. Like the crowds would come to him and he's like, peace out. Like, like over and over again. The crowds come and he, you can't find him. He disappeared. John 15, he, I think he knew this and this is why he's saying this. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And listen to this promise. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I looked that word up in the Greek. It means nothing. <laughs> like, did you know that? Do you know how many times in my 
journey of following the Spirit, I have tried to do things out of striving. Do you know how many times I've said, I, it's not working? And God's like, because it's not about you. And I'm like, Lord, I thought this was going to be an amazing journey where it's hilltop to hilltop. And he's like, abide in me. Let my fruit be producing you through me. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about contemplation. Luke 5, again, Jesus is going away, yet the news was about him. They start spreading it all the more. And it says, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. Mark 1, very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went to a solitary place where he prayed. See, this, this life of walking deeply in the Spirit involves you saying no to the public to say yes to the private. It involves you keep it getting deeper and deeper in the heart of God where you know when his heart beats and you know when to turn right and when to turn left. You know when to say no to things that are bringing you out of abiding. In prayer, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew 6, but when you pray, not if, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Life in the Spirit involves disciplines of the Spirit, of solitude, and of silence. I remember my, my counselor, she told me, she said, uh, she said something really offensive to me. And she said, Stephen, I want you to stop reading your Bible. And I was like, that's offensive. And I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, you're too wrapped up in your head. And I said, well, what do I do? And she said, I want you to sit in silence. And I said, well, that's weird. And I started doing it. And I started seeing that in silence, the words started coming out of my heart. I knew so much in a legalistic way that what I was supposed to do was to be in the word, do my devotional time, do it with this many minutes at this amount of time. And she was inviting me into something deeper. And I thought, I'm going to try that. I can't begin to tell you just sitting in silence how much the Lord started speaking. Some of you need to hear that because you feel like God is so far away when he might be in the silence. You're looking for him in the big and the bright, and sometimes he comes as a whisper. Silence, surrender, solitude. So this is contemplation. Is this good? Is this encouraging? Life in the Spirit involves this, and there's some streams of Christianity that they know this. And they help us, and they help us walk deeper in the Spirit. And then there's contending, okay? I call contending partnership with God in prayer. And we, we learn this in the kingdom, that the kingdom is now, and it's also not yet. How, how many of you would say Columbus looks like the kingdom of God? Yeah, no hands? But how many of you would say that there's an inbreaking of the kingdom that you can see? Right? I, I see it. I just looked at those pictures and worship. Was that all Columbus? Was that Caleb that did that? This aerial picture? I was like, that has to be someone. It was beautiful. I was just weeping, crying, because I was like, Lord, this is how you see this city. I, I've looked at this city in different ways over my years from the floor up. 
And God looks at it in a different perspective. See, this, this contending of the kingdom that is now but not yet, is that's why we still see illness, we still see sickness, we still see these things, but there's inbreakings of the kingdom where healing happens. God comes, his kingdom comes, and it's the very prayer that Jesus teaches them to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching them, ask for my reality to be your reality. In the brokenness, in the mire of your life, ask that I come. That's called contending. And contending, it's like Luke 18 says this, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Psalm 55, the prayer of David, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. This word in the Hebrew for pray, it's seach, and it means to put forth, meditate, muse, commune, speak, or complain. Sometimes prayer can be so formulaic when all prayer might have to be in your season of life is crying before the Lord. Some of you might feel like, I don't know how to pray. And God might say, would you meet me where you are? I already know what you're going to pray before you even say, I just want to be with you. There's this place in meditating, musing, communing, crying, pondering, singing, where it becomes prayer. Abraham is a great example of this contending prayer. If you remember the story out of Genesis 18, Abraham answers and he says, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. And I won't read the whole passage, but you remember it. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if you find 45. And the contending of prayer goes back and forth between Abraham, this man of ashes, to God. And he says to him, 45. They get down to 30. They're at 20. And then at the end, and the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And he says this, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. I think of Mary Jesus' mother looking at him saying, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says to his own mom, it's not my hour. But do you know what he does? He turns water into wine. There was something in Mary that saw something in Jesus that Jesus says, I want to meet that right now. And it becomes this moment of contending where the first miracle starts at a wedding and the last miracle ends in a wedding in Revelation. Contending. There's contending in prayer. Peter's imprisonment, if we're looking at New Testament, he's, he's in prison. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They're contending in prayer. Lord, let your servant be free. And James reminds us in chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask contending. What is God asking you to in this life of the Spirit to contend for? For some of you, it might be children. For some of you, it might be financial stability, a job, breakthrough in your health, 
What is it that you're contending before the Lord like the widow knocking and you're like, I'm not going to stop knocking? Are you contending for Columbus to be a crime-free zone? Are you contending for this church to be so full of people that don't look like you that they're like, if we don't get it, we can't stop. We have to keep praying. What if this whole church looked like refugees and you didn't have a spot to sit in? What if God wants to send the nations into this church? What would that look like? What are your prayers that you're praying for? What are you contending for? And lastly, the charismatic. Life in the spirit with the gifts, the power of the spirit, the charisma, which really quickly, it just means grace or gifts denoting extraordinary power, distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church. It's the reception of which is due the power of divine grace operating on their souls by the Holy Spirit, charisma. It's God giving of himself so that we could do things that we cannot do in ourselves. It's by his spirit. I've heard some theologians say, the gifts of the spirit are the extension of the hands and feet of Christ through your broken hands and feet. It is the continued work of Jesus that he is still doing in the earth. Is this good news? And, and I think this has been a part of my journey is deepening myself because it, in, in the charisma, in the charismatic, it can be so easy to have stories from 12 years ago. That's been my experience. I'm just, I'm confessing to you. Um, it can be so easy for me to say at this year on that time, that's when I saw that healing and God's like, when's the last time, Stephen, you prayed for your neighbor? And I say, Lord, that's weird. And he says, will you meet me? I'm there. I want you to look out your door. I want you to do the things that you've done before. I want you to do the things you haven't done before. Follow me in obedience. I'll lead you. And this life in the spirit of the charismatic, it's 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That, That word eagerly is rooted and connected to this word The same word for lust, it means to burn within so deeply that your insides burn to say, I need something. Burn for spiritual gifts because they're for the common good of the body and the world. 1 Corinthians 12, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another uh, a message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit, to another faith, to others gifts of healing, to others miraculous powers, to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to the other, the interpretation of tongues. There's there's gifts that God has given you that you uniquely have by grace through faith that he's given you. And I I remember when my beginning of my journey, I was so scared to use my gift because I didn't want to mess up the name of God. I didn't I didn't want to ruin his reputation. And God told me one time, He said, You're you're not that big. I was like, darn, like I, I can't mess it up. Like, obviously I can walk outside the character of God, but in my heart of following him in love and a spirit of submission to him, how can I mess up his character when I'm just saying, God, lead me today? There's some of you that have gifts that haven't, you haven't brought them to the church because you don't know where they fit. And there's some of you that have gifts that you're like, I'm scared because in the past this happened to me. 
I want to invite you to the table and say, be and bring the gift that you are. You have gifts that this church needs. There's, there's admin people in here and you're like, I don't know if I want to get involved. And let me just tell you, the church will sweep you up. We need admin people. He's in the back. He's like, come on, come on. But, but that's a gift from the Spirit. There's some of you that have discernment. There's some of you that have wisdom. There's some of you that, that have the gift of teaching. You're like, how can I teach? I can't teach up front. You know, there's a whole generation behind this window that's asking for teaching from the Word of God. Like there's teaching, so I'm, I'm pulling in you. Be and bring the gifts that you have. Do not label your gift as lower than. In Scripture, the lowest gifts get the highest honor. Paul, Paul would know this. In weakness, I boast so that Christ can be glorified through his weakness. Boast in what you bring because it was given to you freely. God gives us gifts for the common good. They're given by grace. And simply, I'd say this, the spirit-empowered life is not just for us, as we see from contending prayer. It's for the world, our communities, and our cities. And I, I want to go a little bit into this, because I, I think it, this, this, was a, this was something that helped me in my journey of walking in the charismatic, walking in the gifts of the spirit, if I could say that. Acts 1.8 says this, it says, but you will receive power. This is the same word rooted from dunamis. dunamis and it, it's where we get the word dynamite. And, and God says to his people, you will receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit, listen to this, comes on you. Remember this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power is for what? Witness. Power is not for another encounter. Power is not for another experience. Power is for the lost. Power is for the world. Power for witness. And he says to them, but you will receive Holy, the Holy Spirit when he comes on you. And in this verse, we see that born-again believers need something they don't have in John 20. Have you ever thought about this? Like the same believers that he breathed on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I think they probably got the Holy Spirit. That's like what I'm guessing, right? Unless they were like, no. Like, I, no, stop that. I, I don't think they did that. But these same born-again believers in Acts 1.8, he says, hey, go, you need something. And I, I would be thinking as I'm reading the scripture, didn't they get it in John 20? And he says, no, 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 go, go and wait, go to Jerusalem. And they're in a 10-day prayer meeting. Contending. For what? Didn't they receive it? Wait. Because Holy Spirit in for you. Holy Spirit on for the world. There's some of you that you've never had that experience. I, I remember for my, in my life, I, I knew about... God living in me. I knew about the Holy Spirit drawing me and making me a new creation. But I remember meeting a man from China. I was in a prayer meeting in Atlanta, and he says, we've come to bring the Holy Spirit to you. And I thought, that is weird. You hear I say that a lot because this was a crazy journey for me. And he says, we're used to this. We're going to pray for you. And God moves in different ways. And, uh, and I said, Lord, whatever it is, I want it. Because I saw humility on this man. 
I saw the character of God in ways I had never seen, and I started hearing his stories, and I said, my life does not match up to your life. When he talked about sin and having power over sin, I said, how? How do I get that? I've known Jesus my whole life. When he talked about praying for the sick, seeing miracles, signs, and wonders, I said, I have no idea what that is. I just opened myself. I said, Lord, whatever that is, I just want it. I want it. And now I understand that John 20 is Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in regeneration, new birth, becoming a new disciple, a new creation. Acts 1.8, power on the witness and the power of the Holy Spirit for the world. Is this good news? This has been a part of my journey saying, Lord, I need that. And some of you today, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you to receive that because God wants to give it to you. You know, some people say, do I, do I need that for salvation? No. But wouldn't you want something God has? Like, I don't want a boring life. When I, when I read the scripture and I read the stories of fishermen doing miraculous things, I think, Lord, I'm not a fisherman, but I'm kind of dumb sometimes. Could you do that through me? And the lies that I used to believe were, Stephen, you're not a missionary. You're not a pastor. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous. You sinned yesterday. Lies. The very man that Jesus used to build his church denied him three times, and Jesus comes up to him, and the three times he denies him, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he breaks that off of his life because he saw something in Peter. Peter didn't see in himself. And God is saying to some of you today, do you believe me? Do you love me? Would you ask for more? We see the same thing in Acts 8, and I want to wrap up here, is the preaching of Philip. He goes to Samaria, this place where you don't hang out. And there's new believers there. And they, they start hearing of Samaritans that have experienced the Holy Spirit. And they're like, we got to send the big guys there. Peter and John go. And Peter and John go and says, when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them. See, it's the same thing. It's the empowerment of the Spirit for the demonstration of the kingdom through healing, through signs, through wonders. Some would say it's signs that make you wonder. And to drive it in more, because this used to be a theological barrier for me, is Luke 9 talks about the 12 being sent in the mission of the Spirit by the empowerment of the Spirit. And we almost got out of it until we went to Luke 10. And there's 72 people that were grandmothers, moms, dads, have multiple kids, no kids, singles, and they're called the 72. And if you look them up in church history, you find that they were normal day-to-day -day people that Jesus sent to their own nations, networks, and people. And he said, I'm going to put my Spirit upon you. And he sends them out and he says this in Luke 10, 8 through 9. If you enter a town and they welcome you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near. And lastly, as to deepen this knowledge of the charismatic, the power of the Spirit. John 14, 12 says this. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, that's me, will do the things that I've been doing. 
Do you know that's a promise from God for your life, your, your nine to five life that he wants to use you in powerful ways, empowered by his spirit in your day-to-day work life? Anyone who believes in me will do the things that I've been doing. So church, I want to encourage you as you live in the center of contemplation, this deep knowing of the Lord in your inner man, the rest of God. I want you to, I want to encourage you in the contending that there's places maybe God is asking you, he's pleading with you, would you believe me for that? I know you asked 20 years ago, would you ask again? Contend. And they're the charismatic. Some of you are like, well, we talk about these miracles and I, I don't even know what to do with that. And I want to invite you, ask the Lord to meet you where you are. Some of you have had a touch from God so many times and you're like, I, I don't even know if I want to ask it. Ask again. Ask again for more than you've ever asked or imagined. And I want to end with this and maybe we can have some ministry time if we're good on time, Grant. Are we, are we good on time? We're tight. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to end with this. What does the spirit-filled life look like for you? Is there an area you need to move towards the contemplative, the contending, the charismatic? In the contemplative, maybe you need to move from resting in God's character to asking, pleading, and stepping out for God's power to happen in your inner man, in your city, or through your hands. Maybe you're more towards the contending, and maybe you need to rest from all your striving and rest in the goodness and provision of God. Or maybe you need to step out in faith and ask God for a fresh filling of his spirit. And the charismatic, maybe all you've known is the power of the spirit and the gifts. God might be inviting you into his rest, his character, and his ever-present work when you're not working. What is God speaking to you today, and what are you asking the Lord for? So church, I I just want to pray for you, Lord. Um, in this community in Columbus and Fountain, this church, would you just move in your power? For all the things that we're asking from you, Lord, this morning, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're moving. Thank you that you're moving in our midst. Thank you that you want to do deep things in us. And Lord, I ask that you would just move over this sermon, that you would pull away things that are of the flesh and let the Spirit be birthed today. If it's the contemplative, it's the charismatic, if it's the contending, would you go deeper in our lives? Would you teach us how to walk by your spirit and in your spirit? And church, I bless you with faith. Bless you with faith to see your door as your ministry. I bless you to see your neighborhood as your mission field. And I bless you to walk in the deeper things of the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Hey, we're going to do this. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet? How many of you felt like the Lord spoke something to your heart this morning? Yeah? Amen? Here's what we want to do. Today is Pentecost, and we want to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and so if you're here and you haven't had that, that, in, in that experience out of Acts chapter 2, moving past John 20 to Acts 2, we want to invite you to come and to receive that as well.